right, community of faith, how are we doing this morning? Yeah, good. You know, if we're going to win in life, if we're going to win in relationships, if we're going to win in parenting, sometimes it's going to be some pretty uh, straightforward, tough advice that we get. And, and God gives that to us. In fact, I want to talk to you a little bit about that today. So I hope if, you know, don't, don't run out in the middle of the service and go, you know, just wait, breathe, okay? And let's go through this together because we're going for the win in life today. I, I, I love Smashburger. How many of you like Smashburger? Yeah, three of us. That's great. Um, better than five guys. How many of you like five guys? Four of us. Um, I don't know where y'all go. McDonald's, loving it. But uh, <laughs> um, anyway, Smashburger, I went there the other day for takeout. It doesn't have a drive-through, but it's so worth it. You know, you, you do have to go in and sit on this little bitty bench and just wait for your food. And it takes quite a while. And usually there's someone sitting there on the bench with you and you just look at each other. It'll be, it'll be worth it, you know? I got it. I took it home. I love, I mean, I couldn't wait. I'd been thinking all week, classic smash, except instead of smash sauce, lots of extra mayonnaise. It's like, it's like a, a kind of a diet burger in a sense. And, uh, and, and I got home and I bite into it and ah, it's the wrong, it's, it's not right. There's no mayonnaise at all. And I'm like, God, how could you do this to me? I mean, I've lived my life for you and yet look, look what I get. Well, I didn't really do that with the smash burger, but I did get mad at my brother-in-law because I looked over, he had my smash burger. He had gotten the wrong one and he was eating that one. But there are things in life that I do question. I do ask God about. I, you know, and we're gonna talk today about when expectations and reality collide because we have some decisions to make in that moment and we have some things and we're gonna, it's kind of a two part so I'm not even finishing the last part today. Those of you who like to get out on time we be glad to know that. Um, we'll get that next week. We're gonna talk about an anchor next week but Jen Goins in her uh, blog, she's talking about one of the times in her marriage when, it, when expectations and reality were colliding. She said she and Brian were five years into marriage and they both lost their jobs at the same time. And they had to move back in with her parents. Yeah, that's, yeah, think about that. She said, not only that, but her parents were uh, redoing their whole house and remodeling it. So they all had to sleep in the basement together. And so what they did was they, they got a big sheet and they put it across the middle of the room. And so she and Brian were on one side, mom and dad on the other. Needless to say, there wasn't a lot of intimacy going on. And uh, Brian was getting really frustrated. And she's like, my parent, that's not going to happen, you know. And so she said, let's be creative. Let's figure out something. He goes, let's go camping. And she goes, yes, camping. So Brian ran in the back room, got a little tent and put it up in the yard. Guy <laughs> was a little desperate, but so he's putting the tent up in the yard, mother-in-law comes out and says, what are you doing? He goes, we're going camping. And she said, this is Montana. Why are you camping in the yard? And he said, because we haven't camped in a really, really, really long time. I think, I think uh, mother-in-law got it, you know, but she was going, that was just one of the difficult times 
in our marriage. Now, there's some times that are even tougher. David Jeremiah is a pastor of a church of some thousands of people. And he talks about in his book, A Bend in the Road, about when he discovered that he had lymphoma. A lymphoma near his spleen, a form of cancer. And they did surgery and chemo and it was difficult and devastating and they got it. And then a few months later, it came back with a vengeance. And he said that he struggled with depression. He struggled with trying to figure out, God, what are you doing? They basically, in medical terms, they threw a nuclear bomb at it. They they did a, a stem cell transplant. They pulled stem cells out. They radiated him, they chemoed him like crazy, tried to kill all that cancer, and then they put the stem cells back in so that he could survive all of that. And um, he's cancer-free right now, but he knows it could come back at any time. But in his, in his, I hear a train out there, I thought someone was playing some music. In his book that's called A Bend in the Road, he said he got the title from the fact that sooner or later, all of us will come to a bend in the road that we didn't expect, that we couldn't have foreseen, that we didn't want, that we didn't ask for, but we can't postpone. We've got our lives lined up and things are going in the right direction and then one day everything changes and suddenly we come to this bend in the road. Now life is moving in a different and unwanted direction. What will we do then? Will our faith survive? When expectations and reality collide. Make no mistake about it, there's a war that happens. It's a war, a battle in our minds. Proverbs 24, six, one of the wisest men who ever lived says, by wise guidance, we can wage war. And so I wanna use God's wise guidance for us on what to do when our expectations and reality collide. So are you ready? You might not have heard some of this before. Number one, Set my expectations about life. Life is difficult. Life is difficult. We need to set our expectations about life from what God's word says about life. And Jesus said, in this world, you will have tribulation. In this world, you will have trouble. Life is difficult. But see, a lot of us, we haven't, expected that we haven't known that Jesus even said blessed are those who mourn you're like what you know if you're like me all of my life what I did I would have a like a a bump in the road or you know there in front of my life and I go if I could just get over this bump it's going to be great and you know what's on the other side of the bump another bump like God I don't understand what's going on you get over that one and it's a mountain I get over that another bump it just keeps going and I realize those bumps are my life. And life is lived in that bump, right? And and that's, if we don't do it, one motivational speaker talked about this beautiful island called Someday Isle. And, And he said, it's just beautiful. It's just sitting out there. And so we always say, someday I'll do this. Someday I'll do that. But no one ever lives on Someday Isle. It never happens. Life is lived this moment or it's not lived at all. And so we began to look at this. Jesus said, hey, this is gonna be difficult. This is gonna be 
hard. Moses said this in Psalm 90, thousands of years ago. Our days may come to 70 years or 80 if our strength endures, yet the best of them are but trouble and sorrow for they quickly pass and we fly away. I heard a doctor recently speaking to a room of several hundred people and he said, if I can just generalize the statistics for you, I can make it really simple. Basically, everyone in this room is going to live to be 80. Now there are a few exceptions here and there, but this is a basic thing. Basically, all of you will live to be 80. Basically, none of you will live to be 90. And that's just the way it is. So you need to realize that. And I was thinking about that and I thought, we haven't come very far since Moses' day. He said 70 to 80. And this guy's saying 80 to 90 with all our scientific technological advances. We haven't come very far in all those 3,000 years. But Moses also said, but life is trouble. There's a lot of sorrow. Have you experienced that? If not, I've just got to tell you, you will. And most of us have. And some of us are still like, I don't get this. I don't know what's going going on. I don't understand what you're doing. My dad is 84. He's in the hospital today. We're going to go up and see him after service. And uh, he's, he's uh, struggling. You know, a lot of you have asked, how is he doing? I, I so appreciate you guys so much in the prayers and the, and the encouragement for him and for, for us. But how's he doing? Basically, he's dying. He's 84 and his heart's giving out. And his lungs are giving out. And he's got pneumonia right now because his heart's and, heart and lungs are giving out. He might, you know, that's why he's got it. And he's dying like slowly. But he hasn't lost his sense of humor. What I love about my dad, you know, the other day he got a couple of his meds mixed up. I'm taking care of that now. But, and, and, and it really wreaked havoc on his system, you know. And he just, but he sat there all day. He just breathing oxygen. Got this oxygen thing and he's just got his eyes closed. And then all of a sudden, after an hour of just total silence, he goes, pastor dies of overdose. <laughs> I told him, I said, well, your name is, you know, Oris Damon Shook, O.D. Shook. We'll just say O.D., O.D., pastor dies, you know. And uh, he thought it was funny. But I got in this little Amazon uh, echo, you know, because he loves to listen to the old hymns of the faith. And that encourages him during this time as he's really having a tough time. And, and, and so, um, you know, he, he's just listening to those hymns and it's a crazy, but the old hymns, they talk a lot about dying. They talk a lot about heaven. And, and I was thinking a lot of our courses that we sing now don't do that as much. I, I see them changing slowly, you know, and now they're talking about, you know, difficult times and God's still there. And you know, for a long time, it was just like super up, you know, like, yeah, everything's going to be great. God's going to come through. He's going to do this. And, you know, the old hymns, I mean, there's something to that, right? I think maybe as the writers of these courses are aging, you know, we're figuring out different stuff. Maybe at the end, we'll talk more about heaven. I don't know. But he was trying to get the Alexa, you know, to, to turn down. I taught him how to do all of that because the volume was a little high. It started to irritate him. And he said, Alyssa, Alyssa, turn down the volume. Turn down, Alyssa, turn down. I said, Dad, first of all, you have to get the name right. It's Alexa. And he's just there with his eyes closed. He goes, never been good with women. 
that's my dad, okay? And in fact, he went in, when he went back into the hospital, this is the second time in a couple of weeks, he goes, he goes, I don't know if I'm gonna make it. This might be my last rodeo, Mark. And I said, well, you know, well, he goes, and then he goes, this bull's a lot bigger than I thought she was, you know? And, and he's just, he's, he's right. Because he's in the hospital and he's walked with God. I mean, this man that I've seen, you know, he, he's just, but he's struggling to breathe. And it's difficult and even panicky because if you can't breathe, think of drowning, you know, his oxygen will drop down to like 80 and, and, and it's not what he expected. And he told me, he said, I'm ready to go. I'm ready to die. I just, I didn't know it was going to be like this, you know? And, and so we, we look at all of that. And even at that, I could see sometimes he's like, God, why are you allowing this? What's, what's happening? Where are you? Expectations and reality collide and the war is on. And I, I think about it in all of our lives. One of the biggest areas where there are the widest gaps between expectation and reality are in our relationships, right? Take marriage, for instance. Marriage. What is your expectation? What do you think of when you think of marriage? Well, some of you have been married a while and you think differently now, but it's Cinderella. It's Prince Charming. Now, most of us didn't think that. There's a few, you know, that are really really optimistic, that's what they thought. But most of us think marriage, well, what, mar marriage is gonna meet my basic needs. Eh, right, you know, it's like, <laughs> sorry, you missed the Jeopardy question, you know, what is, you know? And it's like, what is marriage then? What the Bible would really say if you boil it down is marriage is to bring out all of the dysfunction and selfishness in me so that I can confess it, change, and grow to be more like Jesus. So maybe you just want to turn to your spouse and say, honey, you're doing an amazing job right now. Um, I am really irritated and growing. The Bible assures us marriage is difficult. In fact, one time after Jesus got through talking about marriage, the disciples looked at him and they said, well then, Jesus, who in their right mind would want to get married? It's a good question, still valid, I think. A close friend who is also my psychiatrist, you thought I didn't need a psychiatrist pastoring you guys? I do, you know, so it's like, but he's maybe the, mo the deepest, most spiritual man I know. He's same-sex attracted. He said, I'm just wired that way. He said, Mark, if we went to the beach, you would look at the women in bikinis and I would look at the guys and he said, I, I've, it's always, I've been that way all my life. And I said, well, you totally confuse me right now. I, I, don't, I don't understand right now. What, what, you've been married to the same woman for 30 years and you confuse me. He said, let me give you my humble opinion from one in the struggle he said, me getting with a man, God knew that was way too easy because we think alike, we approach life alike, we approach sexuality from the same perspective. So me getting with another man wasn't going to accomplish God's purpose for marriage in me. God created an alien for us. He wanted us to marry 
and become one with this alien who is absolutely nothing like us, who will bring out all those selfish tendencies and make our life miserable until we do something about it because the goal of marriage is to make us more like Jesus. That's painful and it's going to hurt to get there. Well, that's pretty deep stuff. I know this is a hot button issue today. So let me just stop right here and say, if you're same sex attracted, if you're bi or trans or whatever label the culture would, would try to put on you, I'm not a big fan of labels because we're all just family here. Let me just tell you something. You're in the right place. This is home. Take a deep breath. You're home. I'm your pastor. I love you. I want to know you. I want to walk with you. You're accepted and loved. I do know that I want to meet with you personally. I, love, <clears throat> I care so much. I want to meet with you personally. Don't you leave this church without meeting with me personally. Because there are a couple of Bible verses that I want you to struggle with and I struggle with and I'm trying to figure out and you need to struggle with it, okay? Because I desperately want all of us in this family to become all that God intends for us to become for all of eternity. And the Bible says, if you're a believer, the Holy Spirit will lead you into all truth. It's not my job. I don't, I don't know all truth. You know, even when I preach, you guys, you, you've got to ask the Holy Spirit. You've got to check it out. You've got to read the Bible for yourself. I mean, I, I was wrong. I've been wrong before. You know, I was wrong once, 1993. No. The, the thing is, I'm not God. I'm not... I'm doing the best I can. My job as the pastor is to speak God's words to you, but the Holy Spirit lives in you, and he's the one that leads you into all truth. So if we come together with no agenda, the Holy Spirit can lead us into his truth. We've got to be willing to obey it and do it. I don't have an agenda. It's not my job. It's the Holy Spirit's job. But what we need to do as family here, all of us are going to have some things the Holy Spirit's working on us about. You know, I used to never talk about money uh, because I thought, you know, in the culture today, it's like, oh, all the church wants is your money. All they talk about money, blah, 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 blah you know? And, and so I was like, I'm not going to talk about that because that's uh, like, you know, a hot button issue. And till the day the Holy Spirit kind of grabbed hold of me and said, you need to talk about, Jesus talked more about money than he did about heaven or hell combined because he knew it's something that we need to learn how to manage and walk with. And, and so the Holy Spirit was saying, you don't want a church load of people mad at you for a couple of billion years, do you? I was like, no. Well, then you need to talk about it. I mean, I don't want you to get up there and you, you see me in heaven and go, you didn't tell me how to get anything up here, you know? I'd rather you be upset with me right now because that's kind of the pastor's job to just say, here's what this says. Now you go and you get to struggle with it with the Holy Spirit, be totally obedient, and I promise he will lead you into all truth. You won't miss it. You can't miss it. He loves you too much to, to let you miss it. Well, let me, I kind of digressed a little bit. Let marriage expectations. We need to do a big reset. A big reset. Marriage is to bring out in me 
all of the unselfish, unchristlike areas in me so I can confess them, allow God to work with me on them and grow to be like Jesus. Laura, we got married 1983. That kind of dates us a little bit, right? But Laura accomplished that for me by the end of 1984. We got married, we got home, and I realized by 1984, there wasn't any mayonnaise on my marriage, you know? It was like, I was going like, God, that's not what I thought, that's not what I thought this was, this this is not what I thought it was. And Laura, I mean, even worse, because she likes her smash burger playing meat, cheese, and bread, and I came with um, sloshed in mayonnaise with extra bacon mushrooms, little onion ring things and avocado and barbecue sauce and drowning ketchup. Yuck, right? So we're totally miserable, totally confused, didn't understand the purpose of marriage, on the verge of divorce, went to counseling. You know what's so amazing? Once we got the purpose right, the expectations right, God began to move in us. Over the years, as we stuck with it, something magical happened. Laura, well, I'll just tell her. Laura, you're the sweetest thing in my life. I love you with all of my heart. You're the sweetest thing on this planet to me. Our relationship is so precious and it's amazing and it's so life-giving. But that didn't happen until we stepped into the purpose of marriage for us to each individually grow. What about parenting? You know, I want to be a parent because it's going to fulfill me. It's going to be the ultimate fulfillment for me. I mean, I mean what could be better than another little me running around in the world, right? No. Parenting, it, that's not what parenting, in fact, you know the parents I get the most irritated at, at? I mean, I can't really stand them, honestly. They're the parents that had the one really compliant kid and they stopped having kids. And they go, well, we're just really good parents. No, you got a good kid. Because some of you, the first kid came out of the womb smoking on a cigar going, I dare you to make me do anything, Right? And you're going like, I thought I was going to be a good parent. I mean, they all have these little personalities. You know, if God would have just given us little robots or something, we'd just wind them up, you know. But that's not how it works. And so, no, parenting is to teach you you have no control. Basically, that you're not God and you better be on your knees praying to God all the time. And it also gives you just a little taste of what God feels like to have all these little ones running around that you love more than life itself, that rebel against you and don't listen to you and make stupid mistakes that you could have prevented if they would have listened to you, right? A lot of us are asking the question like like the disciples of old. Well, then who in the world, who in their right mind would get married? Tim Keller said this about marriage. He said, to be loved but not known is comforting but superficial. To be known and not loved is our greatest fear. And we've all felt that rejection. Somebody sees me. They know me. They leave me. But to be fully known, fully loved is, well, 
says Keller, a lot like being loved by God. And when we're fully known, fully seen, fully pursued, consistently over time, it proclaims the gospel over and over and over again to each other that I love you as you are. Not as I would expect you to be because that's how God loves us. Life is difficult. Number two, I need to set my expectations about God. Incomprehensible storms will come. Incomprehensible storms are going to come. In this restless, rootless, friendless culture we've created for ourselves, is there anything that gives stability? Is there anything that allows us to give up our wandering around in confusion? Next week, we're going to talk about that. We've been anchored as believers. There's an anchor. It's it's the most amazing concept. It's like a life-changing thing. But we've got to get our expectations right first. We've got to begin to, to, to lay this foundation. Jesus said, everyone who hears my words and doesn't obey, act on, practice them, is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. It rained hard. The floods came. The winds blew and slammed against that house. And it collapsed with a big crash. Do we believe God is good and his words are true even if we don't like them? Or they don't make sense to us? What about this? What about when God doesn't do what we expect him to do? And we, I mean, and it's, I mean, it's incomprehensible. These things that we're going through in life. And, and, And where is God? Why? When my expectation of what God will do and what actually takes place are worlds apart. You have a decision to make. And see, a lot of people make that decision and they've made this decision. I've never met an atheist or agnostic that hasn't made this decision out of their own life experience. Everybody always tries to be so scientific and all these things, but it always boils down to experience. And it's like, I don't understand how a good God could do this. So there is not a God atheist I don't understand how I could go through this or they could go through this or my kids could go through this or whatever it is could go through have to experience this and God cares at all he just spun the world into play step back I believe he's there but he doesn't care agnostic or we can go to God's word and see what he says about himself. You want to look at it? Isaiah 55, 8 and 9. God speaking. I don't think the way you think. And the way you work isn't the way I work. God's decree. For as the sky soars high above earth, so the way I work surpasses the way you work. And the way I think is beyond the way you think. What is this saying? It's basically saying God is other. Write that down. It's important that we get this. God is other. So what do you mean by that? That sounds kind of hard to understand, you know. He's not like us. Now he created us in his image so we can see little bits of him, but he's so far above us that he's other than us. 
And he sees things in a whole different way. Can you imagine an eternal being? I don't think we can even grasp it. I try. I never can get it. I can kind of get the idea of, you know, right now, right here, going out that way forever, ever, ever, eternity. I, I, I can kind of get that, but do you get it forever, eternity, past? God has always been. Well, no, he can't always have been because if it goes, you know what, right? Or, you know, your brain starts locking up on you. And what we have to realize, that is God. That's who he is. And he created this universe. He spoke it, explosion, big bang, if you will, you know, and bam. It go, but he put it in this giant time bubble. Time is God's invention. He made that up too. And he says, why don't we do this so that you go in a chrono chronological way and you start one place and you age and you die. God doesn't do that. God is always, he's not in time. God's already there tomorrow. Like some of you are so anxious about tomorrow. He's already there waiting to say, come on, little one. I've been waiting for you in this tomorrow for a billion, billion, billion years. And I know what you're going to go through and I'm here. You see, he's other. And he has these plans for us that we can't even digest. What do you think you're going to be doing, believer, five billion years from now? You don't know, but he does. Well, we're sitting around playing on a heart, you know? Floating on a cloud, be a little angel with wings. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that for a little while, you're lower than the angels. For a little while. You're a little lower than Elohim, the angels. It's also the word for God, but I think it's talking about angels there. And he, but just for a little while, because we're the highest creation. That he's, we're going to rule and reign with him. Revelation teaches us, sit on my throne with me. He's going to say, what does that mean? I have no idea. I could be making it up. If, if I said something, you know, I'd be saying, well, what it means is, I don't know. You don't know. But it's not finished here. This is still boot camp. We're learning some things. We'll still be learning some things in heaven. Do you think, oh, in heaven, it says we're going to have a body like Jesus. We're going to be like, you think we're not going to still be learning? Of course we are. We're never going to be God. We're going to be the highest creation under God. I don't know what he has for us, but it's going to be, it's going to blow your mind. When our expectations of God collide in this life with the reality of God, even the best of us doubt. John the baptizer, you know, he's the one that was the forerunner of Christ. Jesus said, among men on this earth, no one's greater. And he's the one, when Jesus came to be baptized, he saw him and he knew immediately. He said, this is the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sin of the world. But now, three years have passed. John is in jail. He's been in jail, seems like forever. Herod, the evil king, put him in jail, waiting to behead him. He's going to get beheaded in the next few weeks. And he knows that the end is coming. And Jesus is not doing what he thought he would do because he thought he was going to come. He was going to demolish Rome. He was going to plant his feet on the Mount of Olives and he was going to rule and reign for eternity as an eternal king. And it's not going that way at all. In fact, things are turning against Jesus. People are bad mouthing him. People are saying he's a fake and a phony. People are saying we need to take care of this guy. This guy's blaspheming. We need to crucify him. And John's hearing all this coming back in prison. And so 
It starts to freak him out because he's been in prison. He can't figure out, what God, what are you doing with me? I should be out there. I should be out there in the war. Instead, I got this war going on in my head because I'm stuck here. I don't understand you at all. Do you even care? You said I was this, and I, I, I don't see it. It's not happening. I don't understand. And he sends his disciples to Jesus, and Jesus says this to them. Go back and tell John, the blessing of heaven comes upon those who never lose their faith in me, no matter what happens. If you, my Bible has a little letter there, and if you look down, it says literal, L-I-T, literally. That means literally in the Greek, it says, blessed are those who are not offended over me. Has God offended you? Are you offended with God this morning? So was John the Baptist. So have many great believers been down through the the years. It's not unusual to get offended with God. I don't understand. I don't like it. I don't want it. I don't, but where are, I don't even, I'm losing my faith right now. My dad, he's amazing because because of his and my mother's faith, I knew by age six, I would be a fool not to ask Jesus into my life. 10 years ago, my mom got cancer, then a stroke, and then a heart attack. And dad has walked faithfully with her through it all. But I will tell you something, I need you to pray for my dad because my dad is at war, oxygen deprived, heart failure, lung failure, pneumonia, gasping for air, struggling with panic attacks for the first time in his life. Because when you're drowning, you're gonna have your adrenaline kick in. It's gonna be a panic attack. I've had those all my life. I'm like, wow, I'm prepared to die. I don't know what that is, you know, but it's like, he's dealing with that. Where's God? That's what he he said. You know, sometimes I kind of despair. I ready to go but I didn't know it'd be like this I, I, I didn't know I would have to do this the panic has surprised me I don't know what to do with it that's okay he's still the most spiritual man I've ever known he's the most godly man I've ever been around I've seen it up close we're human right we're human Every once in a while, God will give us a little glimpse of what he's doing, but sometimes he doesn't at all. Sometimes not at all. But then sometimes there's that tiny glimpse. I read this this week, and I'll close with it. The surgeon sat beside the little boy's bed. The boy's parents sat across from him. Tomorrow morning, the surgeon began, I'll open up your heart. You'll find Jesus there. The boy interrupted The surgeon looked up annoyed. He continued, I'll cut your heart open to see how much damage has been done. The boy interrupted again, but when you open up my heart, you're gonna find Jesus there. The surgeon looked at the parents who sat quietly. He kind of just, you know, and then he continued, when I see how much damage has been done, I'll sew your heart and chest back up and I'll plan what to do next. But the little boy wouldn't let it go. Well, when you open up my heart, Doctor, you're going to find Jesus in there because the Bible says he lives in there. You'll find him in my heart. The surgeon had had enough. I tell you, 
what I'm going to find in your heart. I'm going to find damaged muscle, low blood supply, weakened vessels, and I'll find out if I can make you well or not. <laughs> little boy said, and you'll find Jesus there because he lives there. <laughs> the surgeon left. The surgery was done. As the surgeon said in his office, recording his notes from the surgery, damaged vein, damaged pulmonary vein, damaged aorta, widespread muscle degeneration, no hope for transplant, no hope of a cure. Therapy, painkiller and bed rest. Prognosis, and here he paused, death within a year. He stopped the recorder even though there was more to be said. And he looked at the heavens and he said, why? Why did you do this? You've put him there. You put him in pain. You've cursed him to an early death. Why? It was a rhetorical question. The surgeon didn't expect an answer. But deep down in his soul, he clearly, for the first time in his life, heard God's voice for you. The surgeon, his anger welled up. His tears were hot. He'll be dead in months. Why? And again, he heard it so clearly for you. We both have given our lives so that you can know me. The surgeon thought back to his days in Sunday school so many years ago, and he remembered all of the stories and all of and suddenly as he knew in that moment that God was real because he actually had heard his voice deep inside he wept like he hadn't wept since he was a little child the surgeon sat beside the boy's bed the boy's parents sat across from him the little boy woke up and whispered did you cut open my heart yes said the surgeon what did you find? I found Jesus there, said the surgeon. I want you to close your eyes with me for just a minute. You know what I want for you this morning in the midst of this horrendous storm that you're in? I want you to find Jesus there. I want you to hear his words deep inside of you. I want you to know that he loves you and that he's saying, little one, little one, I love you. My heart is good for you. And I know it feels like you want to rail and say, then why, why? But I want you to keep looking back. Why we take communion every week is because it's a look back to a God who has his arms spread wide and say, I love you this much as they're nailed to a cross. The Bible says, if he gave us his own son, won't he freely give us all that is good for us? Remember, remember. Do you trust his heart? Maybe you gotta go home and wrestle with this a little bit. Maybe you need to sit down and talk with the pastor or you, we got some people up here to pray with you. Come get prayed for at the end of this service. You got a lot going on. You know what? 
You say, I'm really in the midst of a war, I'm doubting. Hey, if the greatest man that walked this planet, Jesus said, could doubt, you can doubt. It's okay. It's a safe place here. It's a safe place to grow and discover. It's a safe place to become. Because we're all in that becoming all that Jesus wants us to be, all that the Father planned for us. I don't want you to miss any of it. I want you to embrace all of it. And it's going to involve suffering and pain. Not something that's popular in America today. I ask you to do some homework. There's some blanks there. Just with your eyes closed, you can start it right now. I want you to think of some areas in your life where reality and expectations are colliding. How will you know? Anger in that area. Hurt in that area. Disappointment, disillusionment, depression. There's gonna be something, there's gonna be a lot of these negative feelings swirling around that. Maybe an anger at God, maybe a, a, a railing against God. It's okay, it's okay. I want you to write those things down. Put some blanks there for you this week because that'll get you ready for next week as we talk about this amazing thing that Jesus did with an anchor for us to anchor us when all this happens. Father, I ask that you would open our eyes, that you would open our hearts, that you would take away all of the, the, the nagging little things that go on. Do you really love me? Do you really care? That you would begin to show us yourself, that we would see you with eyes of the Spirit. I love you, little one. I'm here for you. I've got such a wonderful, amazing heart for you. My plan for you is good. And we can still ask why, but we might not get answered. But we trust your heart. Help us do that, God, as we struggle this week with this. Help us to step through it into your heart for us. In Jesus' name. Amen.